Well, who remembers uh, last Sunday and that great uh, Christmas presentation? Wasn't that awesome that we had last, uh, last Sunday? And then uh, who remembers the Sunday before that and the sermon, right? Remember? Oh, yeah, yeah, thanks, thanks a lot. Yeah, right, yeah. Okay, so the, <laughs> the Sunday before, uh, before, the, uh, before that, uh, the sermon was uh, called Closed for Christmas, uh, where we uh, studied the Catalumas of Bethlehem and how they were closed for Christmas. And if you weren't here, you have no idea what a Cataluma is. Too bad. Okay, uh, so... <laughs> Actually, I'm going to let the Cataluma out of the bag in a few moments, but uh, uh, Cataluma got your tongue. What's wrong? Uh, we also met three families uh, that were closed for Christmas last year, uh, the Rush family and how they go into overdrive uh, this time of year, uh, the Jones family, uh, the people that we're all trying to keep up with and how they make uh, Christmas uh, just a time to craft uh, an image of uh, perfection, and also the Moore family uh, who make Christmas all about material things. Uh, the Rush family and the Jones family and the Moore family were all closed last Christmas, and they'll be closed again this Christmas unless they get about changing some things, like right now. Today, however, we're looking at the other side of the season. Today, we're meeting some people uh, who were open on the first Christmas and who show us how to be open for Christmas Today, So let's go back to the Christmas account found in the Gospel of Luke, uh, chapter 2, beginning with the 8th verse where we read these still amazing but familiar words. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom God's favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherd said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. So unlike the families in Bethlehem who were closed for Christmas, they closed their catalumas to Mary and Joseph, where cataluma is the Greek word uh, that often gets translated as an inn, uh, but probably more accurately refers to the guest rooms that were in Bethlehem's homes. Anyway, unlike the families of Bethlehem who were closed for Christmas, the shepherds and Joseph and Mary were open 
for Christmas as described here in Luke chapter 2. No surprise there, right? Every Christmas we rightly uh, focus our attention on the open hearts of the shepherds and Mary and Joseph. But there is another person who was open for Christmas. And his story hardly ever gets told at this time of year, even though his story comes immediately after those familiar words we just read in Luke chapter 2. As we continue now, when the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took Jesus to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents saw, uh, brought the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you promised, you now may dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what he said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, the child, this child, is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your heart and soul as well. Simeon shows us what it means to be open for Christmas. Simeon was the opposite of those people in Bethlehem who were too busy and too distracted for making room, uh, for making room for Jesus. Simeon shows us what it means to be open on Christmas, for Christmas, in that Simeon was looking every day for Jesus. Somehow God had communicated to Simeon that uh, before you die in your lifetime, you will see the Savior. How did Simeon respond? Well, I find it very interesting that Simeon did not just sit on his recliner and say, well, Lord, go ahead, just bring him to me. No. The implication is that once he received this promise, looking for the Savior was Simeon's mission in life. Everywhere Simeon went, he was looking for the Savior. Every day, Simeon was looking for just a glimpse of this big plan that God was doing. And because Simeon was looking, God made sure that he was in the right place at the right time to see Jesus. Simeon saw Jesus because his heart was open for Christmas. How about you? Are you open for Christmas? Are you looking for Jesus? You should be, and let me tell you why. 
You should be looking for Jesus because God makes the same promise to you that he made to Simeon. God promises that you will see the Savior if you will look for him. In fact, listen to this very promise that Jesus said about himself and his Holy Spirit just a few chapters after the second chapter we just read in Luke's gospel. Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. If you, then though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give you his Holy Spirit if you ask? So I've received, you've received, the same promise that Simeon received. You will see the Savior in your lifetime if, if, if you will look for him. You will see Jesus. That is God's promise. If you look, you will find Jesus. You will be filled with his Holy Spirit who will bring you peace and joy and power and purpose in your life. I want you to have this, my spirit. This is the gift I am most eager to give you, says God. Seek, just seek, and you will find. So what are you looking for this Christmas? Yeah, if you're looking for frantic activity, you'll find it. Uh, if you're looking for stress, you'll find it. If you're looking for the imperfect, the annoying, the discouraging, the disappointing, you'll find it in Christmas. But if you are looking for the joy, the purpose, the power of Jesus, you will find him. That's God's promise, not mine. That's God's promise. If you open yourself up to the Christ of Christmas, you will find him. Now, of course, this principle holds all year long. Think of a hummingbird. Uh, you know this bird with the uh, fast flutter wings? <laughs> the hummingbird. You know what the hummingbird finds all year long? The hummingbird finds beautiful gardens, lovely flowers. They find nectar and sweet things all year long. Now, think about a vulture. Think about a vulture. You know what they find all year long? This is my vulture. I don't know. I really don't know how they work. But you know what a, yeah, what a vulture finds all year long? Rotting things. Dying things. Do you, know, do you know why hummingbirds find beautiful and sweet things? It's because that's what they are looking for. Do you know why vultures find roadkill? Because that's what they're looking for. If you want to find negative things in life, you will find them. If you want to find the discouraging, the dissatisfying, the discontentment, dying things, you will find them if that is what you are focused on. But if you want to find Jesus, if you want to see Jesus working in the garden of your life, if you want to see him bring to flower 
a new love within you for people in your life. If you want to see Jesus bring sweet joy, sweet contentment, sweet purpose into each and every day, you just need to be like that hummingbird looking for these sweet things by looking for Jesus. If you're looking for Jesus, you will find him and all these sweet things. If you're looking for Jesus every day, you'll find him and all these open doors that he swings open for people who are open-hearted toward him. And when you live your life like that hummingbird, you will overflow with gratitude. You'll be like that couple that we just met a few moments ago. Uh, you'll, you'll have moments where you'll just stop and reflect and look in the rearview mirror and see all the ways that you've been blessed through the years. Now is the time to store up grateful memories like that. Not next year, right now, this Christmas, open for Christmas. Open for Christmas by looking, deciding you're gonna look for the sweet things in each experience, in each relationship. Decide now to open for Christmas like Simeon who found Jesus because every day he was looking for the Savior. Next, Simeon shows what it means to be open for Christmas in that Simeon was looking to bless those around him. I love how the Bible describes this scene. First, Jesus took, uh, first Simeon took Jesus in his arms and praised God saying, Sovereign Lord, now my eyes have seen your salvation. But then we're told that Simeon next turned to Mary and Joseph and he blessed them. That's what it says, that Simeon blessed them. Out of the overflow of what he just experienced in Jesus, then he immediately turned to share the blessing that he had received. Uh, Simeon blessed Mary by telling her more about Jesus, telling her more about her own child and who Jesus was and how he would be worth every pain and inconvenience and sacrifice that she would experience as a follower of this child, Jesus. And if you're a follower of Jesus, I'm wondering if you are open for Christmas. Are you open for Christmas in this way? Are, if you've received the blessing as a follower of Jesus, you must be willing to then bless others out of the overflow. Jesus teaches this. For instance, in Matthew chapter 10, verse 8, Jesus says, freely you have received. Now, freely give. Simeon embraced the Savior and then immediately wanted to bless others by sharing what he knew about Jesus. Like Simeon, are you? Are you looking to bless others out of the overflow of the love you've received in Jesus, sharing that love of Jesus in word and deed? I'd like to share with you a, uh, a personal account written by a man named Lee Strobel. Uh, Lee Strobel uh, was a high-flying reporter for the Chicago Tribune. Another important fact about Lee Strobel, he was a confirmed atheist, had no interest in Jesus. But this began to change one Christmas. 
Lee Strobel writes this. As a reporter for the Chicago Tribune, uh, my assignment between Thanksgiving and Christmas was to do a feature story on a poor family in Chicago. That's how I met the Delgado family, uh, headed by a grandmother named Perfecta, who had two granddaughters, 11-year-old Lydia and 13-year-old Jenny. The Delgados were among the most impoverished families I have ever met in Chicago. I'll never forget walking into their home for the first time. I can still hear how my steps echoed as I walked into their uh, apartment, echoing off the walls because there was nothing in their apartment. There's not a picture on the wall, not a rug on the floor. There was nothing except a small kitchen table with one bag of rice on that table. And that's all they had. Lydia and Jenny owned one short-sleeved dress apiece. And every night, Perfecta would wash those two dresses for their next day at school. Between the two girls, they owned one thin gray sweater. And when they walked to school in the dead of winter, Lydia would wear that thin sweater halfway and then give it to her sister so she could be warm the second half of their trip. They were this poor. Yet despite their poverty, they had this amazing faith in Jesus. Because of their vibrant relationship with God, they didn't think of themselves as poor. They thought that they had everything that they could ever want. They were rich because they had a relationship with God. And while interviewing them, I felt this painful irony. The Delgados had nothing but faith, and yet they were happy. Whereas I had everything money could buy, but my soul was as empty as their apartment. When I wrote the article about the Delgados, I included their address on West Homer Street. And then I moved on to other assignments, but I couldn't get my mind off the Delgado family. So almost a month after I published the article on them, I was sitting in my Tribune Tower office on Christmas Eve. And I felt like I had to stop by the Delgados just to see how they were doing. So I went uh, to West Homer Street, and when Perfecta opened the door, I was bowled over by what I saw. Apparently, the readers of my article had responded by showering them with gifts so their apartment looked like Macy's and Penny's and Saks Fifth Avenue all rolled into one. They had pictures on the wall. They had rugs on the floor. They had a refrigerator full of food, a closet full of warm winter coats, and a Christmas tree surrounded by gifts. But guess what Perfecta and her granddaughters were doing? Guess what I interrupted when I arrived on Christmas Eve? The Delgados were boxing about 90% of the stuff that they had received so that they could share it with their neighbors. And when I asked Perfecta why she didn't just sell the extra stuff and pocket the cash, she said, well, our neighbors are still in need and sharing with them out of the overflow of what we've received is exactly what Jesus would want us to do. And Perfecta pointed to all the gifts and she said, we didn't do anything to deserve any of these gifts. They're just all a gift from God, but they're not God's greatest gift. She said, that's what we celebrate tomorrow. Our greatest undeserved gift is Jesus. And Lee Strobel writes, suddenly I realized that this was not a faith act. This was not just pretend that Perfecta and her granddaughters 
really did believe that Jesus meant more to them than any material thing. And at that moment, I said to myself, if Jesus can infuse people with this kind of peace and joy, I'd like to know Jesus too. I said to myself, if Jesus can give people who know him this kind of peace despite poverty, while I have anxiety despite my affluence, if Jesus can give them the joy of generosity while I just have emptiness of ambition, if they can look up to joy, with joy to heaven, and all I do is look in myself and the darkness I find in there, they've got the better deal. And I want to have what they have in Jesus. So for days uh, after Christmas Eve, those thoughts haunted me. But then the calendar flipped to the new year. And I went on to other assignments. And my memory of the Delgados and their faith began to fade. Strobel writes, I know now that God was speaking to me that Christmas through the Delgados. God was saying, here's my gift, Lee. My gift to you is that kind of relationship with me through Jesus. Here, take it. But I, Strobel writes, I turned away. Well, here's the good news. Uh, that Christmas was the, was the first time that God reached out to Lee Strobel, but it wasn't the last time. Uh, not only did Lee find personal faith in Jesus, but now he writes books to other skeptics, just like he was. One book is called The Case for Christmas. And if you're a skeptic, or if you have a skeptic you love, uh, come on Christmas Eve. At all three of our Christmas Eve services, we'll have this book available for you uh, for no charge. Um, let's all be open. Let's be open for Christmas. By looking for Jesus each and every day, and by looking to bless those around us from the love we receive in Jesus, and out of the overflow, share that blessing with others. We want to thank you for watching and listening to our sermons online, and we hope that uh, you will be inspired to live more like Jesus through these. Please check out blackrock.org for more information about our church. Know that you can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. And also uh, know that you can give uh, to BlackRock and to our ministry through PushPay, through our mobile app, and on our website. Your uh, donations and your support of our ministry allows us to have uh, these videos online and for us to impact our community.